continuing on the message, wait for his son Yeshua. If you'd like to turn with me now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verse number 10. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10. And to wait for his son Yeshua, that is Jesus, whom he raised from the dead, to appear from heaven and rescue us from this impending wrath, this impending fury of God. Now, to fully understand that in its context, we have to dig a little deeper. So now turn with me now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Because this gives us everything in together so we can understand. Recently, a dear brother in the Lord, Pastor John, has graduated to the presence of the Lord. His earthly body is now asleep on this earth. But immediately, his soul and spirit went into the presence of the Lord when the Lord called him home. And so for us to gain understanding of what 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10 is speaking of, we have to dig a little bit deeper, and this is what we'll do right now. Now, brothers, we do not want you to, we do want you to know the truth that those who have died, otherwise you might become sad the way other people do. We have nothing to hope for. Since we believe that Yeshua Jesus died and rose again, see how that refers back there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. We also believe in the same way God, through Yeshua, will take with him those who have died. So think about that. One day, all these cemeteries around the world, the oceans where people have been buried, people who have perished in fires, and they have not recovered all the ashes, soldiers who have died in wars through the ages, who put their trust and faith in Yeshua, on that day he will cause their bodies to rise up first. So continue here, verse 15. When we say this, we base it on the Lord's own word. Notice that, that's not the Apostle Paul, Rav Shaul's opinion, but this is what the Lord said. We who remain alive when the Lord comes, that's us right now, will certainly not take precedence over those who have died, those that are resting, their bodies are resting in the grave. And I know for the two young men that are here today, death can be sometimes a very, very frightful thing. But know this, as the Lord calls us home into his presence, our spirit and our soul immediately go into his presence, and we're forever to be with the Lord. And we can take comfort on that. Continuing here, verse 15. When we say this, we base it on the Lord's own word. We who remain alive when the Lord comes will certainly not take precedence over those who are died or sleeping. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a rousing cry and a call from the one of the ruling angels and with God so far. Those who died united with Messiah, that means that they put their trust in hope in what Jesus has done and said, will rise first. So just think about that. Pastor John's going to rise up first out of the grave. 
and all our other loved ones and friends who have put their trust in the Lord. Then we who are left and still alive, that's us, will be caught up with them where? In the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Can you imagine that, young men? You don't need a plane. You don't need a helicopter. God is going to translate you into the presence of Yeshua. And we're going to be, everyone is going to be greeting up there. We're going to be celebrating. Continuing. Those that are left and still alive will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord together. So encourage one another with these words. Now let us turn to 1 Corinthians. And we're going to look at chapter 15. Because all these scriptures, they're built upon other scriptures. And the beauty of these scriptures is the same individual, Rav Shoal, the Apostle Paul, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of the Living God, instructed them, him to share this. And we're at verse 50, 50. So that's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. And this is what it says there. Let me say this to you, my brothers and sisters. Flesh and blood cannot share in the kingdom of God, nor can something that decays share in what does not decay. Look, I tell you a secret. Some translations, it says a mystery. Not all of us will die, but we will all be changed. It will take but a moment, the blink of an eye. At the final shofar of the trumpet, for that shofar trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised to live forever. And we too will be changed, for this material which can decay must be clothed with imperishability. That means it never wears out. It never decays. It's just like if you put some food in the refrigerator and it lasts forever. Because you've got to give these applications to younger minds so we can all understand. We all have young minds. So let us continue. With imperishability. This is what which is mortal, must be clothed with immortality. That means that you live forever. When what the decay puts, when, that, when what decay puts on imperishability and what is mortal puts on immortality, then the passage in the Tanakh, that's the Old Testament, will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and sin draws its power from the Torah, God's law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through whom? Our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. Or you can say, our Lord Jesus, the Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, immovable, always doing the Lord's work, as vigorous as you can, knowing that united with the Lord, your efforts are not in vain. And so we had to have that little bit of background so we can launch in today's message so we can fully understand what this verse is speaking to us about. And so, as I said earlier, the only, the pre-tribulation rapture teaches the imminency that it can happen any moment. So when I talk to others with differing view, I ask them this simple question. Can Yeshua return for us today? So Rav Shaul taught that Yeshua can come back today. So Yeshua can intervene in the life of his bride. That's us. 
Jews and Gentiles, one and Messiah. When his father says, now go and get your bride. There is no prophetic sign yet to be fulfilled. So that this is why we see the language here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. To wait for his son Yeshua from heaven. Notice it doesn't say to watch. It says to wait, right? You ever getting ready? And your mom and dad says, well, Frank, you got to go put on your shoes, tie them, get your coat. But I get distracted and I want to play with my toys in my room and this is all going on, right? And so with that, we are to wait, but be ready. Continuing here. So with this, it doesn't say to watch for his son Yeshua from heaven. It says to wait. So why aren't, so why aren't we watching? We're not watching because there isn't any sign to precede the rapture, the harpazo being caught up in the presence of the Lord. I mean, that. what would you be watching for? There are no signs to precede the rapture. It doesn't make sense to watch for signs when there are no signs. The Brit Hadashah exhortation to wait is for his son from heaven, Yeshua from heaven. And so this messes a lot with different ministry statements that, that have on their marquees that they, are t that they may make, must make themselves watchmen on the walls. The command to watch is never given to the bride, the church, both Jews and Gentiles and, and Messiah. It is always to wait. Wait for the bridegroom because he's on his way. At any moment, the father will speak to him. And picture that. God the father sitting on his throne. To the right of him sits his son. And he's been waiting for the last 2,000 years to come back for us. Both those who are, who are sleeping in their graves and those that will be alive at that time. And this has been the hope in the body of the Messiah from every generation, from the first time that this word was given up until today. And so continuing here. Let us now turn to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 42. Matthew 24 and verse 42. Yeshua in Matthew 24, 42 is speaking now to Israel in the tribulation. And I'll read that verse here. Praise God. Isn't it wonderful that the greatest prophet, the greatest king, God who is manifested in human flesh. Yeshua has not left us in darkness, but he's told us what the last days would be like. And this is what it says. So stay alert because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. So when we see that the abomination that brings desolation and let us now turn to uh, chapter 24 and verse number 16. 15. So when you see the abomination that causes desolation spoken through the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand the illusion. And so with this, this is a fake illusion. 
One day in the future, there's going to be the third temple and Israel's going to be built because the anti-Messiah is going to make a peace treaty with the nation of Israel, which will allow them to build the third temple. And then after three and a half years, he's going to tell to the people of Israel and the world, amen. You now, you now must worship me because I'm God. And so Yeshua is warning them. And he's speaking to his Talmudim, his disciples, that this is going to happen sometime in the future. It has not taken place in the last 2,000 years. Yeshua never lies. He tells the truth. And so this is a warning to them to do what? Not to wait, but to watch for the abomination that leads to desolation. And he gives them further instructions. And we'll go through that at this time. And so now we see that Yeshua is speaking to Israel in the tribulation. How do we know this? We just looked at that verse there. So when you see the abomination that caused desolation spoken through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. So now we're dealing with the context right in the middle of the tribulation. And Yeshua is speaking to whom? Jewish people in that time period. And he's telling them exactly what they need to do. And so as we look at this scripture, it becomes very obvious here in Matthew 24, 16. That, though, that that will be a time for those in Judah to escape to the hills. You know, it does not say Eden Prairie. It does not say Minneapolis. It does not say Chicago. So he's speaking directly to the Jewish people. And why isn't he speaking to the called out ones, his bride, Jews and Gentiles, one and Messiah? Because they're already gone. There's no warning for them. This is a warning to the Jewish people during the time of the tribulation who have not received Yeshua as their promised Messiah. Why? Because they still have a veil over their eyes. They don't see him for who he is. And that's why the nation of Israel was told to watch. And think about this. Yeshua shared that, and later Matthew wrote that. But who spoke to this hundreds of years earlier? But Daniel the prophet. He was shown all these things. You know what thing that Daniel the prophet was not shown? That there would be a body of believers, both Jews and Gentiles, one in Messiah. He never knew about it. He knew that the Jewish nation were to be the light to the nations, to show them the way to the one true God. But he did not know all the details how that was going to be worked out sometime in the future. And you see, many times today when di different individuals, they try to insert the bride, the church of Jews and Gentiles, one and Messiah, into these verses, when Yeshua is speaking to a specific people group, they get things off course. Do you ever use a compass? 
and you look at your settings, you get your bearings. And if you set your compass where you believe is north and you just have it off just one degree, the further you go, the farther you get from your destination. Think it from that perspective. Those in the body of the Messiah, part of both Jews and Gentiles, one in Messiah, they have that interpretation of scripture incorrect. Because we're not ever given the command that wherever you're living throughout the world, when the abomination that leads desolation happens, that you're to buy plane tickets, you're supposed to get on a ship prior, because it's going to take a little while to get there. And then you're to flee where? To Petra. That's not given to the bride. Both Jews and Gentiles, one in Messiah. So let us focus on who this is given to. And so Yeshua here is now speaking to them. And he says that you are to, to flee to the mountains to escape. Yeshua is talking about the Jews in the tribulation to escape to the mountains and to a place in Jordan called Petra. And as we look at verse number 20 here, we see that it's clearly that Yeshua is speaking to them directly. Pray that you don't have to escape in winter or Shabbat. Now, most of you who come from a Christian background, where do most Christians worship the Lord on what day of the week? Sunday. Shabbat in the Bible is sundown Friday till sundown Saturday. And doesn't the person that's given this teaching, who is Yeshua himself, know the difference between Sunday and Shabbat? So we have to think about these things so we can finally understand and interpret God's word correctly. So continuing here in verse number 20. Pray that you will not have to escape in winter or on Shabbat. Why winter? Have you ever been to the city of Jerusalem? I haven't been there. But there are mountains around the city of Jerusalem. And in winter, there's at times there's snow and ice. As we were talking earlier about the state of Texas being bombarded with a major ice storm. Can you imagine uh, millions of people trying to flee from a city, a mountain city in Jerusalem? And so he's saying, pray that this would not happen then. Continuing here. For there will be trouble then worse than there has ever been from the beginning of the world until now. And nothing like it again. He's not comparing it to Noah's flood. He's not uh, complaining it to the captivity of the children of Israel in Egypt. He says this is going to be the worst times. The tribulation. 
upon this earth that the earth has never witnessed before. So continuing here. So Yeshua is talking about the Jews in tribulation to escape to the mountains, a place in Jordan called Petra. Pray that you do not have to escape in winter or Shabbat. Why did Yeshua say this about the Judean mountains? As I said earlier, it's very, very difficult to maneuver through the ice and snow. And Shabbat because everything is shut down. Because they're celebrating Shabbat. Why did Yeshua say this? Because the Judean mountains are, are truly difficult. Yeshua is not talking to those who worship on the first day of the week, Sunday, but those who worship on the last day of the week, and especially those under the Mosaic law. The whole focus here is to the Jewish people who have the veil yet over their eyes. The bride of Yeshua, the church, is not even mentioned here. And you know, the disciples of Talmudim at that very moment had no idea that God was going to graft in remnants from the nations round about into the commonwealth of Israel. The wild olive tree would be grafted into God's tree. Continuing here. To that, Yeshua said, watch. Matthew 24, 42. As I said earlier, stay alert and watch because you know, don't know what hour your Lord will come. See, the children of Israel who still have a veil over their eyes don't recognize him as their Lord and Savior, the Redeemer. To bridge, to build them back towards having reconciliation to God the Father. They don't see that, but he's still their Lord. He's the one that sustained them. He's the one that brought them back in the land of Israel. It's he who delivered them through Moshe from Egypt. Continuing here. So stay alert and watch because you don't know what day the Lord will come. The frame is now set that these people are probably not saved. And yet they are new believers. And their knowledge of prophecy is not very deep. How can it be when you are now being hunted by the anti-Messiah? Because when they, don't, when they don't bow down and worship him, off with their heads. And what's going to be impressed upon the whole earth at that time? If you do not worship the anti-Messiah, you'll be put to death. That's what the scriptures speak of. So to that group, the Jewish people in the tribulation, Yeshua says to watch. Stay alert, watch, because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. The frame is now set that these people are not probably saved. As I said earlier, they're brand new believers. But to this group, the Jewish people in the tribulation, Yeshua says to watch. And why does Yeshua say to them to watch? 
because they, the Jewish people in the tribulation, are the bracketed group in the seven-year tribulation. The 69 weeks that God has established for the Jewish people will begin again. It's called Daniel's 70th week. And so what is the great tribulation there for? It's there for the judging of the Jewish people who they've denied Yeshua as the Messiah. Because once they put their trust, and they're going to be fully believed that this man, the anti-Messiah, surely he must be God's Messiah because he's allowed us to build the third temple. And then finally their eyes will be opened. The scripture speaks of this. And then anti-Messiah will be unleashed. And as if you study further in scripture, it talks about the two witnesses coming. And where do they, they testify? Not in New York City, not in Moscow. They testify in Jerusalem about the things of the Lord. And during that time, 144,000 from the 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel will arise and they'll proclaim the good news to the Jewish people and to the world. There's no mention of any of the churches in the book of Revelation speaking during that time period. There's not instruction how they are to endure the tribulation of seven years. Why? Because we, the bride of Messiah, both Jews and Gentiles of Messiah, are not on the earth. We have been what? We've been waiting. And our waiting time has come to the end prior to the tribulation beginning and the anti-Messiah being revealed. So what do we see going on around us right now? There is apostasy. Whoever thought there would be ordained ministers in congregations of the same-sex marriage being allowed. And that's just one illustration there. There are people who are not rightly divining the word of God and following it. It's amazing how many men and women who profess to walk with the Lord are now embracing the things, these doctrines of devils. This is happening. And that's one of the signs that we are in those last days. So continuing here. Yeshua says for them to watch. So it is now completely appropriate now to ask this group of Jewish people to watch. It's inappropriate to tell them, like the bride, to wait because they have signs. 
the abomination that leads to desolation. Continuing here. By contrast, the bride has no signs for their harpazo rapture. So the bride of Yeshua is not told to watch because what we'd be watching for, we're only told to wait. The only way that we should watch is with the full canon of scripture where we can piece together the events that will come together after the bride has been removed. Isn't it beautiful? Yeshua could have left those things out. He could have left those things aside about the great tribulation. But he wanted his bride, his witness during this dispensational time, to bear witness to those who are lost in the world, to the Jew first and also to the nations. See, God does not hide what he's going to do before his children. He's given us the holy prophets in the Tanakh, the Old Testament, and the apostles in the New Testament so we'd know exactly what he's about to do. Continuing here. So, and if the tribulation is coming soon and the harpazo rapture is coming even near, so in that sense, it would be appropriate to watch. But not in the sense that A, B, C, D, and E has to happen for this to happen first. Then the harpazo rapture can happen. So that this is why there are some distinguishing between some passages that say directly to the bride of Yeshua to wait and other passages to national Israel in the tribulation period that they are to watch. One group is dealing with time finite bound prophecies that have to happen before the second coming of Yeshua can take place. And what does scripture say when he's coming back to land on the Mount of Olives? At the end of the seven-year period of the tribulation. And that's during that time that the nation of Israel, after two-thirds have perished, one-third will be still left and alive because not all will flee. Jerusalem. And anyone who remains will be put to death. And when they cry out to him and they see him at the end of the great tribulation coming from the sky and they notice his hands and feet are pierced, and the veil is finally removed from their eyes. They will acknowledge him as king of kings and lord of lords. And Romans 11 says this. In that day all Israel shall be saved. The tribulation the seven years is also called in the book of Daniel. Jacob's trouble. Yaakov's trouble. That speaks about the nation of Israel. Continuing here. Praise be to God. And so this has to happen first. 
Then the harbatso rapture can begin. So that this is why there are some distinction between some passages that say the bride of Yeshua is to wait and other passages to national Israel in the tribulation period says to watch. And you have to reaffirm that in your heart and mind. Another group, the bride of Messiah Yeshua, us, have no signs for the rapture of Harpazo. So that is why there is this distinction between these two groups. The one Israel who's watching and the one that is us, both Jews and Gentiles, one Messiah, who are waiting. So when many people have not heard of this distinction, are now shocked, well, I've never heard this before. The distinction between watching and waiting. Yet this is the type of thing that used to be taught in most Bible colleges and Bible camps. But what do you see happening in the body of Messiah today? They're embracing the things and the will and the whim of this world. There are great seminaries and universities of higher learning that they don't even teach eschatology. They don't teach the commands of God. They're focused on how many backsides you can put in your seats. Grow at any cost. Have people come, but don't preach against sin. Don't preach about the Lord coming back. Don't preach about these things because you may offend somebody. You know, the Bible is offensive. It is. It offends our soul and our spirit until the point we get aligned with God's word and have our mind and our spirit being transformed. That's a process that you and I are on. We rush against our own carnal nature. So continuing here. So with this, we see now the reason that now it has not been taught. Some people say, well, the reason I've never heard this before is it's never been taught. And because I've never taught, it's been taught to me then it must not be true. And why is that? Because some of those who stand in the pulpits today have neglected the truth. But now when you look at some trusted volumes, and I'll introduce this one to you today, like Lewis Sperry Schaefer, Systematic Theology, that was brought about in 1947. And if you look on the imminent return of Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus the Christ, you'll see him making now this distinction. And here's is what he said. The imminent, any moment, return of Christ, whether it be that the coming of Christ to earth in glory, when Israel, and that's the end of this seven-year tribulation, is to be delivered, or the coming into the air to receive his bride, both Jews and Gentiles, one in Messiah. The coming can happen at any moment. At the end of the seven-year tribulation, when 
when the Lord comes back and who's going to be coming back with him? His armies. And who's also going to be coming back with him? His bride, both Jews and Gentiles, one in Messiah. That can happen any time after the seven-year tribulation period ends. And so prior to the great seven-year tribulation, at any moment, the harpazo, the rapture, can happen. Prior to. Both cases, we're not given the day or the hour, are we not? No. But the time frame, the period, time frame is there, continuing here. And so Israel will be looking as Yeshua comes back as their judge and deliverer. And so he warns them to watch as he's coming in as a thief in the night. These are the scripture references I would like you to study. And they are Matthew 24, 32 through chapter 25, 13. And we're not going to go through all those Bible verses today. So you can listen on to the podcast and you can jot them down. The second portion of scripture there for you to do study on is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 and 8. The third portion of scripture is 2 Peter, or in Hebrew, Kepha, chapter 3, verses 8 and 10. Over this, the church is instructed to wait and to look for his return for her. Where do we have the scripture that proves this, the evidence? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. And Hebrews, the book, Messianic Jews, chapter 9, verse 28. In both instances, the return of Christ, and this is Mr. Chafer, what he's sharing here, is unannounced before the impending within the period to which each event belongs. See, he gives a distinction. Because there are some people that mix up the second uh, coming of Messiah when he lands on the Mount of Olives. They confuse it with the rapture of the Harpazo. They say, well, that's going to all happen at the same time. But the scripture clearly says that we're going to meet the Lord in the air. And then this latter scripture speaks about us coming back with him. And he's landing on the Mount of Olives. And then what happens after that? After the Jewish people come to receive Yeshua? The millennium begins. You know, right now, there's a majority in the body of Messiah that no longer believe that there's even a millennial, a thousand years where Yeshua will be ruling and reigning on this earth. There are those that taught that that happened from the time that Yeshua ascended up to the Father and sat down at the right hand of the Father. That's when the millennial began. That is a doctrine of demons. Because the scripture clearly declares that there will be a millennial reign. Did not God promise to his servant David that there would be one from his loins, one from his offspring, that would someday, time in the future, sit upon his throne and he would rule forevermore? Absolutely. There are those in the body of Messiah who believe in replacement theology. They teach this because the Jewish people, the leaders mostly, 
they rejected Messiah and that God allowed for their second temple to be destroyed in AD 70, that from that time forward, God had washed his hands of the Jewish people and he nullified his covenant with them. That's a lie. Because those in the church teach this, they say, God has replaced Israel with the church. And that's a lie. And so we have to know God's word, how to properly interpret and study it. So let's continue here. And so with this, in both these instances, the return of Christ is unannounced and therefore impending within the period in which each event belongs. The return of Messiah, Yeshua for his bride, both Jews and Gentiles, was not impending in the Tanakh, the Old Testament. It's never talked about. It's never revealed to the prophets. Did not God say to Daniel, and Daniel desired to know all greater details of the things that he had saw? And he said, now seal up that book for that generation in the future because it is for them. I believe that we are that generation. Israel became a nation in 1948. And this is the first time since the first century that are both, there are both Jews and Gentiles, one in the Messiah, who are fellowshipping together. And the nation of Israel now exists. Praise be to God. So continuing here. Most likely you have never heard of the distinction of waiting and watching taught before. The reason may be that those who taught were never fully equipped. That they were not taught eschatology. As I mentioned before, in a lot of seminaries, a lot of Bible colleges, they don't want to deal with these, different, these difficult subjects. Why? Because it divides people. It calls people into accountability with a relationship with the Lord and with one another. So continuing here. So, they were not taught eschatology in most Bible universities. They either gave it a thimble amount of education or they just skip over it entirely. So, these people who now fill our pulpits today, they're confused because those who taught them in the Bible colleges are confused. Well, so-and-so said this. Well, so-and-so said that. But what does the word of God say? Does what they teach, is it confirmed in God's word? We are to be like the men of Berea in that synagogue, hearing what people say, but then dissecting it according to God's word. Because this word will never lead you astray. So continuing here. So who are going to teach your children theological truths? Think about it. Because they one day are going to be adults. They now sit in congregations and listen to those who teach basically what they don't know. And even what they're talking about. So now we're losing what? A whole generation of truth simply because of prophetic neglect. You know, one third of the Bible deals specifically with prophecy. There are a lot of other important things. 
but we are to know God's word. So continuing here. So now we're now losing a whole generation of truth simply through the prophetic neglect. So just because you haven't heard of something doesn't mean that it's not true. The reason that you've never heard about this distinction between watching and waiting is the neglect of what? Some messianic rabbis, some pastors and elders, not the lack of truthfulness or fact, the doctrine. So when the bride of Messiah is told to wait and Israel is now told to watch, and some of you may have not, never heard what the word eschatology is. Here is its definition. Eschatology, the word derives from true Two Greek words, meaning last study. Remember my illustration earlier about Daniel, where he's told to seal up the book. You are not to know, but those that will be born in that generation, it's for them. And so this last study involves a study of what end things, the last days. Whether the end of an individual's life, or an end of an age, or the end of the world, or the nature and the kingdom of God. Eschatology is a part of theology concerned with the death, judgment, and the final destiny of the soul of humankind. There's an excellent quote that a young lady gave here recently. Her name is Yasmin Suri. And this is what she, and I believe it's her quote because she does not give a reference to someone else. The people who created the Tower of Babel, Babel, showed tremendous unity but they were united against the will of God. What do we see happening in governments today? Shocking. They cannot even define what a woman is anymore. Young people are now told that they're opposite genders or they're just a cat or a dog or you can pick whatever you want. The craziness of this world. That's what's happening today. That's the reality that we're dealing with. Continuing here in her quote, the people who created the Tower of Babel showed tremendous unity, but they were united against the will of God. It is better to be divided by truth than united in error. We're to be the people of the book, the people of God's word. Praise be unto God. And so we're stopping right now because there's a lot more to give. Praise God.